Morning, church. Scripture reading for today is from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways. Be wise. She, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember my best. Okay, we'll start over. Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways. Be wise. Next. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she gathers her, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest how long will you lie there o sluggard when will you arise from your sleep a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man the grass withers the flower fades but the word of the lord stands forever amen <laughs> good job brother andrew I didn't ask him to do that, by the way. It's all purely voluntary there. We don't require that, but that's, that's good. All right. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, daylight savings is difficult on the body, especially an old body like mine. <laughs> I was struggling during 9 o'clock. I feel a little better for 11 o'clock, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, before I go into the message, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Josh and Chris, who are here for the first time. Uh, they are Su Susan's friend, the Jansen and Susan's friend. If you can just raise your hand for us quick. Let's warmly welcome them. And also we have, uh, I have YC, a June Parks friend uh, from school. YC, where are you sitting? Over there on that side, okay. Let's also give YC a warm welcome. I'm wondering if that's your real name, but if it is, it's a cool name, YC, all right. Uh, okay. Oh, I was reminded to greet those from home as well. So, welcome everybody. <laughs> We're live stream watching right now. Uh, glad you can join us this morning. Uh, just FYI, we are planning to um, end our live stream at some point during this year. Uh, we'll let you know exactly when, but uh, we still have some time. You still have some time at home. So, uh, we're, we're, I think, estimating roughly... Uh, end of April, so first Sunday of June, it should be uh, the end of live stream, but uh, if there are any changes, we'll let you know, okay, that's the current plan, and that's also the time when we're hoping to launch our 9 o'clock children's ministry as well, okay, so uh, for today, I'd like to have us think through the sin of slothfulness as we officially welcome the spring season in the next few days, I know the snow was unexpected, <laughs> Hoping never to see snow again, uh, well, at least this season. But um, yeah, it came, and uh, I was at a wedding yesterday, and uh, it, was, it went very well, by the way. But yeah, we, we have spring coming soon, and I just want to encourage all of you uh, to really seek the Lord during this season as the weather warms up. And, um, you know, I think it's a good time to examine our hearts and really seek to grow together in the Lord. You know, ever since COVID began, uh, the idea of work has in some way been deprioritized in our society, right? And the effect of that has been felt everywhere, including within the church. So I, my hope is that this message will speak to those concerns. That's on my heart. Uh, the other reason why we're sort of uh, taking a break from Acts and focusing on today's topic, honestly, truth be told, I need additional time <laughs> to process the next few chapters in, in that book. It's, it's not easy. Uh, so we'll, we'll return back 
next Sunday, uh, you'll, you'll see like uh, the young Eutychus falling from the window and dying. And so I'm going to have the youth join us. It's, it's going to be a joint. It's going to be great. Okay. <laughs> the apostle falls speaking to the young Eutychus and he dies. And so what, what kind of message will that be? Uh, well, you'll have to come and see. Okay. Let me share a few additional words uh, this morning, though, by way of introduction that should help you appreciate this message much more. Uh, Several years ago, I gave a sermon series titled The Seven Deadly Sins. Some of you may remember that, right? Uh, The sins were pride, envy, anger, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. Now, these seven deadly sins were formulated by the Christian church as early as the 4th century, not because they were viewed to be the most lethal sins we know, because as you know, all sins are lethal, but because they were understood to represent all other sins, right? They were representative. They were the main representatives of all other sins. And I mention this historical connection because slothfulness or sluggardliness can easily be misunderstood. For example... We've been conditioned to think that as long as we are working hard, right, as long as we're busy with life, that it can't be possible for us to be lazy or slothful. You know, it's easy to think, look, I'm a workaholic, so I can't possibly be considered a sluggard. Now, if you're going by the Merriam-Webster's definition of slothfulness, and that may be true, but if you're going by the way sin, the sin of sloth, has been defined by our long-standing Christian tradition, then you would be wrong. You know, if, if slothfulness just meant lazy or idle, you know, the remedy would be very easy, right? You could just treat people like slaves and force them to work more, and sloth would be, you know, eradicated just like that. But that would be the result of a, just having a very poor and superficial understanding of sin, wouldn't it? You know, sin is a very serious spiritual condition which can only be remedied by supernatural grace. You know, we cannot defeat sin simply by exerting a little effort on our part. We need God's grace to transform us from within. Amen? So how has the church understood this sin of sloth or sluggardliness over the centuries? And This shouldn't surprise you. But it's been understood in relationship to the greatest commandment, right? To love God and to love neighbor. How are you doing with these two things, loving God and loving neighbor? One writer defines it this way. Sloth is resistance to the demands of love. Are you resisting the demand to love God and to love neighbor? It has more to do with being lazy to love than lazy about our work. That's how the church has understood this sin of sloth, right? So can you be a workaholic and be lazy to love God and to love neighbor? Of course you can. In fact, according to this definition, workaholism is one of sloth's classic symptoms. So whether you're a workaholic who's always busy and and known to be extremely difficult to, to get a hold of, like I think some of us, or whether you're a plain bum who has a reputation of being outright lazy, I think God will have something to say to you through this message. Okay? So here's the outline for today. Uh, it's three parts. 
part one, the sluggard's identity. Part two, the sluggard's common paths. Part three, the sluggard's hope. And I'll flesh out these three things, okay, one by one. Part one, the sluggard's identity. Uh, Derek Kinner is a, uh, a scholar who wrote this very helpful um, commentary on Proverbs. And uh, he lists four qualities of the sluggard, which I'm going to just briefly outline for us here. I think it's good, it's good content to reflect on, okay? Uh, number one, he says that the sluggard, the, the sloth, right? The sloth will not begin things. He will not begin things. And so if you ask him, how long will you lie there, O sloth? <laughs> when will you get up from bed? You will not get a definite answer from him because he doesn't know. All he wants, as the proverb says, he wants a little more, right? A little more sleep, a little more slumber, just a little more folding of the hands to rest. And in the meantime, the morning slips away and he's lost his chance to get a head start on things that day. Isn't it true that some of us need more sleep than others? Of course we do. I know some people who can function Normally, with only six hours of sleep, I envy them, right? They don't even need, need a midnight or, not, or a midday nap like I do, right? Most people like myself need at least eight hours of sleep each day to properly function. Amen? Eight hours? Yes. <laughs> if, I get, if I get anything less than that, I would be less focused and less patient with people and thus more difficult to deal with, right? You don't want to see me with less than eight hours of sleep. But the problem with the sluggard isn't whether he's getting enough sleep or not. You know, the sluggard's deeper problem is that he lacks motivation because he lacks a real sense of purpose and meaning in life. It's like, you know, whether he gets six hours of sleep or even ten hours of sleep, it doesn't matter. He's unproductive no matter what because he lacks the motivation to love God and to love neighbor, to live well, to invest in work that matters, right? that's meant to honor God and to bless people. I'm glad you didn't know me when I was a teenager. I think you'd all be very discouraged. Uh, you'd have probably felt very sorry for me because I was that guy who was living without any purpose. And it wouldn't have mattered, really, if I was given $10 or even a million dollars by someone. I guarantee you I would have squandered it all. <laughs> I had no per I was lost. I was a lost soul. That's what a sluggard does. That's what a sluggard is. So I can relate to this. Right, this, passage, this, this message actually is, is really directed to me. This is, I feel exposed as I was you know, uh, preparing this. This is me. Two, secondly, he will not finish things. The slugger will not finish things. Uh, I'll share a few other um, proverbs for us as we reflect upon this topic. Uh, proverbs chapter 12, verse 27 reads, Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Okay? 
think, so think about that, what was happening here. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. So like, it's like he takes this first step to start something meaningful, right? He hunts something down, he captures it, right? He, he brings it back home, but he doesn't see it through, right? His initial impulse dies out very quickly. Does that sound familiar to you? If he's finally successful in hunting game, he falls short because he's too lazy to cook. I can totally relate to that. You know, it's like um, I pack my fridge with groceries only to see them go bad after a few days. Right? Uh, I used to do this a lot, especially when I was single. <laughs> I, would, I would pack the fridge only to see the food go bad in a few days. Why? Because cooking is tedious and inconvenient. It takes time and effort. So instead of cooking, what do you do? You end up choosing to eat out more than you should. And in doing so, you waste precious wealth. And you actually get less healthy. Right? Um, another proverb, 26.15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> it's a funny image. And there, there is some hyperbole being used here, but I can relate to this as well. Uh, when I grew up in Korea more than 30 years ago, this may be hard for some of you to, to, to grasp, okay? I get it. But there were no such things as seedless watermelons or even seedless grapes. Can you believe that? There were no such things as those things. I mean, those were created later after farmers realized that people didn't like eating fruit with seeds in them. It was an invention, <laughs> Do you know how tedious it is to eat watermelon with hundreds of, I'm not talking about the white seeds that are very chewable and you can easily swallow. I'm talking about the hard black seeds that are everywhere and they're annoying, it's in your face. You know how hard it is to eat watermelon? It's impossible. Some of you are still like confused. You're like, what? There are seeds in watermelon? Black ones? Yes, there are, right? The original ones at least. So what, do, what, what did I do? What did I do as a, as a young person? I would ask my mom, Mama, here, take, some, take, these seeds, take these seeds out for me. And guess what? If she didn't, I wouldn't eat it. Right? I wouldn't eat it. Just give me those processed potato chips over there, easy to swallow, munch. I'll take those instead. Because I'd rather die of a heart attack than eat watermelon with seeds in them, was my philosophy. So the point is, brothers and sisters, a sluggard isn't willing to push through any kind of adversity because fundamentally he lacks a heart for the Lord, right? Very self-centered, just always just wanting his convenience for himself. Thirdly, the sluggard will not face things. Proverbs 22, 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. There's a lion. I shall be killed in the streets. Now, the problem with this is that there were no lions roaming around in any Jewish town during that time. So this is, a, this is supposed to be an example of a really bad excuse. 
Right? The point is that the sluggard will make all kinds of excuses, even outrageous ones, to avoid hard work. Have you ever caught yourself coming up with such outrageous things to avoid inconveniences? You know, we, we know the sluggard very well, don't we? Because he is in all of us. I hope this, these, these verses are exposing your heart as well. Why do you think the sluggard responds to life in this way? Is he truly afraid? I mean, he can't be afraid of lions in the streets because there are no lions. So then, what is it? You know, why, why do you think we do certain things? Why, why do you think we avoid certain things? It's not fear of lions. It's rather the more common fears, perhaps. The fear of failure or the fear of man and his opinion toward us. Or it could be a fear of losing out on what you value most in life, such as comfort or security. Those fears we can relate to, right? Those fears are the fears that tend to paralyze us the most. The bottom line is this. If you lack a genuine love for the Lord, of course you won't think that the risks involved in living the Christian life is worth it, right? So you would do whatever you can to avoid such risks and not sacrifice anything personally. Derek Kinder, the commentator, writes, the wise man knows that the sluggard is no freak, right? The sluggard, the slothful person is no freak, okay? He writes, the sloth or the sluggard is an ordinary man who has made too many excuses, too many refusals, and too many postponements. It's, all, it's us. We've been there. Fourthly, as a consequence of all this, the sloth or sluggard is restless. Okay. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Along the same lines, Proverbs 21.26, all day long the sluggard craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Now, it's possible, of course, to be an unbeliever and enjoy a good amount of wealth and to live comfortably. But the point of these proverbial sayings is this. Because we were made for God, the sluggard soul is never truly satisfied. We're only satisfied truly until we find our rest in the Lord, is the main point. Because the the sluggard, he craves and craves all day long. doesn't matter how much he has, is the picture. You know, he could have a million dollars, but he still craves for more because he's never satisfied. You know, it's like only those who have tasted the generosity of the Lord is able to truly be generous toward others, right? Only those who have found rest in the Lord can truly be gracious and extending rest to others, right? That's the picture here. If you haven't tasted that, you can never understand. You just keep on craving. Try to fill your life with stuff, with things that will truly never fill you. Part two, the sluggard's common paths. And here I briefly wanted to highlight just two common paths of the sluggard, 
Okay, number one is this. Trouble or persecution leads to cynicism. And I'm going to just remind you of the parable of the seeds, okay, Matthew 13. You have the seed, one of the seeds falling on rocky ground, right? And that referred to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They fall away. You can think of it this way. It's like when you uh, finally think that things are going well for you, right? When you, when you think life is moving in the right direction. The world has a way of beating you down to the ground. And then you, you get frustrated with your life. And you may even get frustrated with, uh, toward God. And what happens, we, we tend to become cynical and apathetic. And then spiritual slothfulness sets in. You know, you might be excelling at your work, but something happens to your team and things just gradually fall apart. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you're right out of college, okay? You, you start life just wide-eyed. Your post-college life is, and you're very idealistic, and you should be as a fresh, you know, post-grad. You, sh you should be wide-eyed and idealistic, but then what happens is you become increasingly cynical as the years go by because that's what the troubles of life tend to do to all of us. Have you noticed that the really big political and corporate scandals happen not with idealistic young people, but with the older cynical crowd? Why? Because most young people they generally want to start things off on the right foot. <laughs> and they don't understand why the world is so crooked. Right? They're naive in some sense. But again, as you grow older, right, you grow more cynical as the world beats you down to the ground and you begin to care less and less. In other words, your heart becomes more hardened over the years. At least that's a tendency. And then you, you become spiritually apathetic. And that's when the great scandals begin, even in your own life. And so you should be very careful if you sense that you're becoming a more cynical person. And if you sense that the word of God that was once alive in you sort of kind of just bounces off you, right? It doesn't get absorbed in your heart anymore. Secondly, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth can also lead to further slothfulness. That's another path, right? The seed in Matthew 13 that falls among thorns this time refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, it says, making it unfruitful. I was reminded of a conversation I had with a brother I knew since my Philly days, uh, he's a brother who used to be just on fire for the Lord, as we sometimes like to say. He was on fire for the Lord. But then he started to work, and he made some money. And I had a chance to talk to him, and I, just, I didn't sense the same passion he had before. Right? There was a lack of interest, a lack of passion for the Lord. So I asked him, what happened to you, man? What happened? You're different. 
you know, you used to be locked in and on fire for God. What happened to you? And as I was talking to him, it became clear to me that the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth had gotten to him. And he became this very lukewarm person. I'm not even sure he's a believer now. Those are some common paths we have to be careful of. Part three, the sluggard's hope. The sluggard's hope. And for this section, I, I divide into three parts. I think just to be um, easy to remember, just think of it as faith, repentance, and obedience. Okay, these three parts, faith, repentance, and obedience. But I'll have some additional uh, words to share under each. So the first one is faith, but let me put it this way. Brothers and sisters, we are to trust in the work that Christ has done for us, right? Not in our work, but in his work, the work that he has accomplished for us. Let me share with you one more proverb, Proverb 15, 19. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway, okay? Think about what that's saying. The Way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Let me share with you one way to think of the gospel, okay, using these concepts. First, consider the curse that was placed upon Adam, okay, Adam in the garden. It's like, Adam, Adam, since you have turned away from me, basically, God placed a curse upon Adam, right? And I guess essentially all of humanity. But since you have to, nothing will go well with you. The ground will produce thorns and thistles so that your work from now on will frustrate you. But God doesn't leave it there. The story continues on and we encounter the second Adam in the biblical story. The second Adam is who? is Jesus, the one who bled and died for us on the cross. And there were thorns placed on his head. In other words, the curse of the sluggard fell upon him. Right? Instead of us, Jesus was crushed into the ground, toiling, working, laboring for us so that we could be made upright and experience a fruitful and productive life through him. So because of what Jesus has done for us, praise the Lord, our work is redeemed, and we no longer have to grow cynical toward our work. We don't have to be so afraid because we know that our work, if it is done unto the Lord, none of it is done in vain, is a promise. And you see many examples of this manifesting throughout life. I mean, some of you may see it in your workplaces. Uh, I, I read an article uh, some time ago, and this particular one was talking about how the Christians in China, because there's this, you know, massive underground movement, right, the underground church of China that produced many followers of Christ, many faithful ones. I mean, people even trying to survive under communist regime, they're even making a difference in the workplace. And, and people are noticing. It's like the, it's titled Christian Faith and Chinese Productivity. And uh, let me just read one paragraph from that article, okay? And this is an observation people have been making. He tells me that when staff convert to Christianity, their attitude towards their work is transformed. 
If you're a Christian, you're more honest with a better heart, he says. The people who are not Christians are not, they're not responsible as, as much. I think it's very different. I'm not saying that those people who aren't Christians are all bad, but from the percentage of the workers who are Christians, they seem to be much more responsible, you see. And this shouldn't be surprise us. This is the impact that Christ has upon our hearts and our lives and, and how we approach work and our attitude toward work. Secondly, so that's, that's faith, trusting in the Lord, right? trusting in what he has done for us. Secondly, repentance, okay? Brothers and sisters, let's be open and honest about dealing with the sin of sloth in our lives. You've got to take some meaningful, meaningful action, including repenting of your slothfulness and your sluggardliness. Brothers and sisters, if you've been negligent in your walk with Christ, you need to be honest about it. Stop making excuses. You know, uh, let me speak first to the couples, okay? When, when husbands start becoming spiritually apathetic, here's one thing we tend to do, okay? We, we tend to fill up our schedules with more work so there's no time for small groups or Bible study or prayer, right? We could always say, this, this work's busy, you know, this work's busy. I've even heard of cases where men intentionally fill their schedules up so that they don't have to see their wife or kids at home. They get so tired of them, you know? The nagging wife, you know, the kids who demand just money all day or, or, or like car rides all day. It's just tiring, so they, they kind of just bury themselves in work, right? Are they not sloths just because they're working hard? But this could happen to wives, too. Right? Wives, they fill their schedule with work and with kids' activities so that they don't have to spend time with their husbands. You know? <laughs> Am I exposing you too much? Right. Wives, um, here's my putak, okay, request. Please, I know it's hard. I guess that this will apply to husbands too, some of you. But please do not make your kids your number one priority. Do not make your kids the priority right, over your husband. Because when you live that lifestyle for a few years, it's going to ruin the marriage. Your hearts will grow cold toward your spouse, and the inevitable will happen. It's a miracle, brothers and sisters. I, I married roughly 40 couples over the past 14 years or so. I've seen no divorces yet, right? I don't take credit for that. I'm just saying it's like a miracle. I'm, I'm like, the cynical side of me is like, when, when is the first divorce going to happen? <laughs> Where's it going to be? But, you know, the, the godlier side of me is just wanting to encourage you. I want to encourage you to cling to each other, not because you're all that great, but because... The Lord is honored when husband and wife persevere in faith, right? Knowing their weaknesses and seeking to overcome just the various hardships that you face as a couple. We all know the hardships, those who are married. You know how, we know how impossible it is for a marriage to hold together for 20 plus, 30 plus years. But by God's grace, these, these things can be done. And so 
And let me, let me also speak, I don't know, I, I didn't do this for 9 o'clock, but singles, college students, if you're watching, I hope you're watching, especially you college students who, Pastor Sam's telling me he's having a hard time getting you guys to come out. You're the healthiest. You're the healthiest. You know, COVID is not a lion, at least not anymore. Maybe the, for the first couple of months, you know, it was perceived that it's, COVID is not the lion on the street, okay? For you especially, it's like a little kitty cat. It's a kitty cat, and, and you can't make excuses anymore. But that, that applies to all of us too, but especially to young college students, singles. Let, let's not make excuses anymore, right? It's time to invite everyone to come back out. Let's, let's be a church again. Um, let's be healthy again, right? Supporting each other, challenging each other with, without any fear, okay? I, I probably caught COVID like twice, okay? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50. I'll be turning 50 next month, right? <clears throat> um, so that's repentance, okay? Lastly, obedience. Obedience, okay? Know the value of taking on difficult challenges and doing hard things, for the Lord, okay? And, you know, we all know that we're not saved by works, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, uh, cultivate sort of a, a work-based spirituality here, no. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 does say, right, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there is a place for working very hard, right? Good work, right? Not, not work to avoid your, your spouse, your kids, or your family, or ministry, but good, noble work, okay? Uh, with that said, let me just highlight the fact that we do need volunteers to do the work of ministry. We, we have... We have issue. We're understaffed, you can say. I mean, the, the whole, all of Nova seems to be understaffed, right? Not, not just in the church, but outside the church. Pastor David at uh, Pontiel is always looking for a new staff because they quit after like two weeks. It's like crazy. I was, uh, I was trying to celebrate Joshua, my, my uh, now five years old youngest. And he wanted to go to, I, he was like, I want to, where do you want to go, Joshua? I want to go to that, that blue building with the H on it. He, he didn't know what the name was. And so we had a figure, oh, it's IHOP. So we went to IHOP one evening, and we learned our lesson. Don't go to IHOP in the evening because <laughs> they don't have enough staff. I went into the Centerville location, and I just walked back out because there was, like, virtually like, one person working. And I was like, I'm not sure what they're going to serve tonight. <laughs> um, we went to Red Robin. Actually, so we went to Chantilly IHOP. It was closed, even though Yelp said it was open. And then we went to... We ended up going to uh, Red Robin because, you know, everyone, all the kids liked that. But Joshua started crying, uh, I wanted IHOP. So we go to, we go to Red Robin, and uh, the service was just a little bit better, you know, a little bit better. And I, I, I turned to my mom's like, what has become of America? <laughs> what is happening in this country? It's crazy. Um, but come back, coming back to the church, <clears throat> you all should have heard that Kathleen's ministry and Xiong's ministry is in need of 
volunteers, right? But then I, we all, I got an email this past week. Julianne is now wanting, seeking volunteers. And so, oh, my goodness. Three ministries now. We're short-staffed. We need volunteers. What am I going to do? Right? Well, I've got to try to lead by example, right? Uh, so I, I, I contacted Joyce. I texted her. Said, okay, maybe we should um, unleash the first, the oldest two kids. Selen you know, Caleb going to have them. And then she said, oh, Sophia can serve too. <laughs> so, so like, oldest three, we're trying to figure something out with them, and maybe they can serve during 9 o'clock slot. And, and Joyce is even going to try to make herself available. And I'm willing to serve too, but I don't, I don't know if the kids will like that. You know, um, <laughs> honestly, I, I have to... I have been called to preach. If you can find a replacement for me, I'd be happy to serve in the nursery, okay? Um, so there's that. I wanted to close with uh, just a challenge. Uh, that there, there's another article that I read that I thought would be very appropriate, and it's titled, Where Have All the Men Gone? And, and the, it's not just the church asking this question, Okay. Not just Christians, it's also those outside of the church asking now because it seems like the culture and society, the country we live in, it's all like sort of collapsing gradually, right? It's sort of deteriorating. And people are asking, where have all the men gone? What are the men doing? Why aren't any of the men stepping up? And and let me read a, a portion of this, okay? The other day, Harvard senior Julie Hartman wrote a brief tale in the Wall Street Journal about what has been happening on that revered campus of Harvard since COVID landed its microscopic self on American shores? She and her classmates have been denied the norms of campus life, treated instead to wear uh, or mask wearing and social distancing and endless COVID tests. But that's no big deal because students across the country have been subjected to similar protocols, right? Well, that's wrong, according to Harvard. She points out that students at Harvard are often viewed as the leaders of the next generation for that institution has been producing great men for centuries. We may be the future decision makers, she writes, but most of us are not leaders. That's her observation. Our principal concern is becoming members of the American elite with whatever compromises, concessions, and conformity that requires. In essence, Harvard students are simply the same cookie-cutter automatons that so many institutions produce today. And so she's lamenting what's happening on that campus. So where are the men? Right? People are just kind of going with the flow, just never challenging status quo. So how do we encourage the next generation toward greatness rather than simply promoting compromise, concession, and conformity as Harvard is doing? The answer is to train them in a solid set of convictions strong enough to be worth dying for and poignant enough to be worth defending when no one else will. Where are the men? Examples of such convictions include faith in God, admiration of virtue, respect for the institution of marriage and family, and love for learning and discerning truth, she lists. Seems a very common sense things, right? But she's basically arguing that these things are now absent from this supposedly great institution of Harvard. These were commonplace once commonplace convictions in Western civilization, now they are rarer than a white tiger. Nevertheless, our need for them has never been greater, and the men and women who are taught to cling to these as children will one day stand in greatness, even if they never set foot on Harvard's 
campus. So <clears throat> it's not just Christians lamenting. Brothers and sisters, I want to close just with this thought. You know, uh, please do not forget that standing up for the truth and not compromising your beliefs as a Christian, that is an act of obedience to the Lord. That is obedience. We're called to obey. And people will call you all sorts of names. They will try to malign you. But because our hope is in the Lord, you do not need to fear the opinion of man. Amen? Did you know that Hungary, the country of Hungary, has chosen a pro-life, pro-family mother of three to become their country's first female president? And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, rah, 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 you know, go woman power. I'm not doing that. That's not my point. You know, I, I really believe that because the men of our day are such cowards and unable to boldly speak out on such important issues, sometimes women have to lead the charge. That's what seems to be happening there. And, and as you know, when you take just a very common sense stance on any given issue in our day, you're labeled as some extreme far-right kook. And this is no exception. And uh, the new president basically said, in many cases, everything is considered far-right. <laughs> and so I just want to simply encourage you. I know that Davina, she kind of meant as a joke last week when I was eating with, with a few people at uh, Eden Place. I'm sitting with extreme right people. Well, I told her, well, in our, in our, my point is, <laughs> my point is this, because we are living in such an upside down world, far right simply means that you're just a normal person, right, who believes that a boy is a boy, a girl is a girl, that we can't make up our own reality, that it's wrong to kill a baby in a womb, right? That marriage is between husband and wife, male and female. Right? That's, that's what far right is these days. Don't be afraid to be labeled that. So let's, let's fight this sluggard within us. Okay, let's fight this sluggard by trusting in the finished work of Christ, by being honest about our shortcomings, and by walking in obedience knowing that we were created for good works, which he had already prepared for us beforehand, as his word says. Let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you for opening our eyes to see how we are plagued by this sin of sloth, this sin of spiritual apathy, this desire to reject our calling to love you and to love and serve others. We confess that we are weak and that our hearts are prone to wander. So we pray for you to anchor us by your grace as we together remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. He was willing to bear the curse of sin on our behalf so that we may live with a new God-given identity and purpose, no longer as sluggards, but as a spiritually awakened people created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you have prepared for us beforehand. We should walk in them, and all of this for our joy and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and give praise to God.